the Decapolis was a group of Greek city-states that had been established after the conquests of Alexander the Great back in the fourth century BC. This is the first time the kingdom of God comes to the Decapolis. This Gentile region, brothers and sisters, is a place of deep spiritual darkness. An example of this deep spiritual darkness comes in verse 2 when the very first person that Jesus encounters after he disembarks from the boat is this demon-possessed man. First person they encounter, a demon-possessed, demon-tormented soul. According to verse 2, it says, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man was being tormented in his soul by the devil and demons trying to destroy him within. The demons controlling this man did not wait for Jesus to find them. They compelled the man to rush up to Jesus. This kind of confrontation with Jesus has happened before. For example, back in Mark chapter 1, verses 21 and following, while Jesus was teaching in the Capernaum synagogue, a demon-possessed man confronted him and Jesus performed an exorcism in front of the whole synagogue congregation by expelling the demon, uh, the demonic spirit from the man. You remember that? We preached through that text some time ago. You see, brothers and sisters, the holiness of the Lord Jesus is too much for the demons to handle. His presence Speaking of the presence of the Lord, his presence evokes an ugly reaction from the powers of darkness. Everywhere Jesus goes, he exposes spiritual darkness. The light of his holy presence overcomes darkness. This reminds me of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 5, which says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And also, in the letter of 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, which says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. In John chapter 1, verse 5. You see, the light of Jesus disrupts the darkness of the demons. Soon after coming ashore, Jesus is confronted by this man who is tormented by these demonic spirits. You know, I could only imagine the fear the disciples must have been feeling when Jesus encountered this scary human being. <laughs> Because if they were frightened by the deluge earlier on the sea, then surely they are also frightened by the demons. Not only were the demons frightening, but the man himself was frightening. 
frightening. According to verses 2 and following, this demon-possessed man came from the tombs. Came out of the tombs, out of the cemetery. By the way, how many American horror movies have been set in a cemetery or a graveyard? Hmm. The cemetery is the place where the dead are buried. And all kinds of scary stories have been told about these places. I'm sure some of you have gone to see some scary horror movies in your time. Me, I've avoided them. I was always scared of scary movies <laughs> growing up. I didn't want anything to do with them. <laughs> this man not only comes from the graveyard, but he also lives in the graveyard. He's homeless and has made his home in the cemetery. That's where he feels most comfortable. In the cemetery among the graves. Verses 3 through 5 tell us this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Verse 4, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. Wow. Tombs were small caves where the dead were laid to rest. When you think of tombs, don't think of them like we think of lowering somebody in the ground. No, these tombs were often caves, small caves, complex of caves where the dead were buried. You could walk into them. He is in such a bad state that he lives among the caves of the dead, wandering among the tombs, wallowing in misery amid the dead. He is truly a dead man walking. He lives in isolation from his community, alienation from his friends, and estrangement from his family. His companions are the tombs. He's completely out of control. In fact, as the scripture says, no one could control him. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Meaning human hands couldn't subdue him. And even chains made of metal or whatnot could not hold him. You see, possessed by demonic spirits, he had an almost superhuman physical strength that could not be controlled. Verse 4 tells us that many people had attempted to subdue him without success. He would break and tear off chains and iron. The scripture says no one was strong enough to subdue him. The original Greek word for subdue is better translated tame. That is to say that no one was able to tame him. He was like a wild animal. And people treated him like he was a wild animal because he was out of control. 
All we have to do, brothers and sisters, is look around us and see the ravages of men who are out of control. These days, it seems, everywhere we turn, men are out of control. And the law enforcement everywhere is struggling to maintain control and order in society because of it. Men out of control can be the most dangerous animals on the planet. Even men with vast wealth and power seem out of control. That is to say, men who have everything at their fingertips, out of control. For example, consider the unjust war started by Vladimir Putin against Ukraine. Putin, a man with vast wealth, some have estimated him to actually be the wealthiest man in the world. A man with vast wealth, political and military power, attacks Ukraine simply because he has the ability to do so. In so doing, he has completely ravaged and torn the country of Ukraine to shreds destroyed and disrupted the lives of millions of innocent and peaceful people who were simply trying to live their lives and has plunged the civilized world into fear and chaos for no justifiable reason. The demons of murder, madness, and mayhem have unleashed untold misery upon people through one man who is out of control. And no one seems to be able to subdue him. At least not yet. The demon-possessed man in our story was wreaking havoc upon himself and everyone else in his community. And demon-possessed men in our society are wreaking havoc upon our communities and upon themselves. Look at all the shootings taking place seemingly every day. Every day it seems like someone is killing people with gun violence. And if they cannot use a gun, then they find other weapons to hurt, harm, and murder people. People are not only trying to kill each other, but they are also trying to kill themselves. Suicide is on the rise in society. Just like the demon-possessed man in our story, of whom in verse 5 it says, Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Cutting himself. Does that not sound familiar to us? It has been a long problem in our society, in the civilized world. People doing harm to themselves, cutting themselves, among other things, signifying the deep, deep, profound existential pain that they are suffering in their lives and that comes out in the form of cutting this man using stones to harm himself. He was constantly harming himself as well as others who tried to help him get under control. 
Sin has catapulted this man's life out of control. Now, we're not told how he got into such a bad state of existence, but we can be sure that sin had something to do with it. Either his sin or someone else's sin or both. However he got to this low point, sin was involved. Somebody's sin. And it had a profoundly bad effect on this man. Many people these days are not interested in talking about sin. I believe the reason is because if you bring up the issue of sin, you also bring up the subject of God. You can't talk about sin without talking about God. Why? Because sin is a theological issue. Now, yes, it also impacts the areas of social, societal, personal, psychological, psychiatric, economic, and more. But first and fundamentally, sin is a theological matter. In addition to being a theological matter, sin is also a spiritual matter. Not only in terms of the human spirit is it a spiritual matter, but also in terms of the spiritual realm. Sin is a spiritual matter. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 tells us, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This man in our story has been overwhelmed by spiritual forces of evil from the spiritual realm. His troubles are not merely mental, not merely emotional, not merely psychological or psychiatric or anything else based on the natural realm only. His problems are theological and spiritual. The void in his soul was being filled by malevolent spirit beings inhabiting him and attempting to destroy him or to cause him to self-destruct. They've already made much wreckage of this man's life. And now here comes Jesus onto the scene. <laughs> Verses 6 through 8 tell us, when he saw Jesus, from a distance, Jesus hadn't even got close to him. Hadn't as of yet even come into close proximity to him. When the man saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Shouted at the top of his voice. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. Well, Jesus hadn't said anything to him before he started to approach him. Verse 8 tells us, for Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit, meaning that Jesus saw this from a distance, saw him from a distance. More than that, 
Jesus obviously already knew who they were going to encounter when they got off the boat. The whole trip, the entire tour, was designed as a lesson for his disciples and for us. God knew that the storm was going to swell up on the sea when it did. And God the Father through God the Son led them into the storm and through the storm and now on to the other side and no sooner than they could get onto the other side that they run into another storm. <laughs> A human storm. So from the moment Jesus disembarks onto the scene, there is a spiritual confrontation between him and the powers of darkness and evil. In other words, brothers and sisters, the very presence of the Lord in the place. Remember, this is, this is Gentile territory. This is a spiritually dark region. The moment the Lord set his foot on that land, it was a spiritual confrontation erupting immediately. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't know whether you realize or understand this or not, but that's exactly what is supposed to happen. Because the powers and the demons of darkness are not supposed to be able to rest in the presence of God. They can't. And not only that, I'll go so far as to say the powers of darkness ought not be able to rest when we come into the room either not because of us but because of the God who lives within us if the demons are comfortable around you then you need to be worried about yourself think about it Jesus had immediately discerned the spiritual condition of this man the demons cannot hide from the Lord. The scripture says, from a distance the man saw Jesus, as, and Jesus saw the man and the demons inhabiting and tormenting him. The man ran and fell on his knees in front of him because the demons immediately recognized the Lord Jesus and knew they were in trouble. They knew they were in trouble when Jesus showed up. Remember, Wherever Jesus goes, he exposes spiritual darkness. Completely out of control, the man ran up to Jesus and shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. This is not a new question to Jesus. Demons have said it before. For instance, back in Mark chapter 1, verse 24, the demons in the demon-possessed man in that episode cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Remember, we walked through that episode together. Dr. David Garland writes, and I quote, Unlike humans who cannot quite fathom the reality of the divine breaking into human history, Evil spirits always recognize Jesus' divine origin and quake in his presence, end quote. It is interesting that demons recognize what humans often refuse to recognize. 
that Jesus is Lord. The demons recognize it and blurt it out. In this suspenseful confrontation between Jesus and this demon-possessed man, there is all kinds of maneuvering and attempted manipulation by the demons. They think they are somehow exposing Jesus' identity, but their counterfeit submission is what was being ex exposed. They correctly refer to Jesus as Son of the Most High God in order to try to manipulate the Lord not to punish and banish them. They're not acknowledging that he's son of the Most High God because they trust him or they love him. They're trying to manipulate the Lord. They know Jesus is Lord, and they deserve divine punishment. But they try to buy more time to avert judgment upon themselves. Using this man as a mouthpiece, they cry out, in God's name, don't torture me. They are using this miserable man as a human shield. By saying, don't torture me, when they know they are the ones doomed for divine judgment. You know, we talk about, in real war, the problem of human shields. You know, the, 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 the evil ones, the bad guys, if you will, or what have you, using innocent humans as shields in order to protect themselves. These demons using this lost, poor, wretched man as a shield, a human shield, in order to try and protect themselves against Jesus. When they know they are doomed for divine judgment, no matter what they do, they know what awaits them. And they know that Jesus has the authority to banish them to eternal punishment immediately if he chooses. All of this demonic maneuvering is in reaction to Jesus demanding them, come out of this man, you impure spirit. When Jesus commands the demons, they must obey his divine authority. Whenever Jesus encountered someone possessed of demons, he would deliver the person by expelling the demons. And this poor man is no different. Jesus specializes in ridding people of their demons. Jesus specializes in ridding people of their demons and of the demons who try to oppress and harass people. You see, it's true, brothers and sisters. Jesus knows how to cleanse demon-possessed people. Jesus has divine authority to expel every demon that torments your life. Jesus is able to purify the soul that is poisoned by the presence of the demonic. Jesus possesses the power to deliver you from the power of the devil. 
Jesus can free your soul from the clutches of demonic oppression. Jesus can redeem your mind from the power of, by the power of his redemptive blood on the cross. Jesus can redeem your thoughts and your, the inner workings of your mind from the confusion, incoherence, and insanity of demonic influences. Jesus can give wisdom, understanding, and clarity of thought to your mind. Jesus is able to demolish every spiritual stronghold of the devil in our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 says it. Jesus is able to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5. His word is able to strengthen and protect your mind, your soul, and your spirit. The word of the Lord Jesus has the power to grant people repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth so that they will come to their senses and escape the, from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will according to 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 25 and following. You see brothers and sisters Jesus Christ is Lord of all even over the devil and demons. So here's the question. Have you surrendered to his lordship? If you haven't, the Bible says now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to repent and believe the gospel. Now is the time to surrender to the Lord Jesus. Now is the time to let the Lord Jesus purify your heart, purify your mind, purify your soul, and change your standing before God. Uh, a standing of, of being lost before God, being a sinner, uh, from being lost and in sin to being saved, being forgiven, being justified by the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross of Calvary. Now is your moment. Now is the time. Right now matters for eternity, my friends. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for how the Lord Jesus encountered this man and all of his demons and how Jesus will ultimately deliver him from all of his demons and people will find him well sitting and in his right mind because of Jesus, because of the power of Jesus. Oh God, we thank you for the power of our Savior who is able to save us so thoroughly through and through that he redeems not only our spirit and our soul, but he redeems our minds. He redeems our bodies. He touches and redeems us 
through and through by the power of his blood shed on the cross of Calvary. Thank you, O oh God, today as we pray for the salvation of sinners and the strengthening of the saints in the name of Jesus. Amen. Brothers and sisters, now as we prepare to transition ourselves uh, for the offering here at the Cornerstone Church, as we all know very well, we consider the offering an act of worship. And so today, as we prepare to give, we give willingly, cheerfully, generously, and even sacrificially because the Lord has given us Jesus. He has given us everything. And we give back to him because he has given to us the greatest gift of all, and he keeps giving each and every day. And we thank God for his grace and his goodness to us. Let me now pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon the offering and upon each one of us who participates in it. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon this offering and upon all who participate in it as an act of worship. Oh God, I pray, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, upon each and every one, that you will open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing that we won't have room to receive it. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. <laughs>